Thank you, Steve. We've come to the main message portion time of our service now, and as we always, we'll start with prayer. Lord, thank you so much, as uh, Steve just sang for us. You are a great God, and you have blessed our country in multiple ways over the years, the decades, and the centuries now. And we thank you for that. And Father, we pray for our veterans today. We know that we have some veterans who faced battle and war and maybe suffering some of the side effects from that now today. So Lord, we, we just pray in a special way that you bless them, comfort them, and help them because uh, they face some very tough experiences. So thank you, Lord, for them. And once again, we ask your inspiration now on the message. Help us to understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to spend some time there today. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is a very interesting passage, and I'll pause right there for now, because as sincere and as humble as the Pharisees seem to be here, they were anything but sincere and humble. What they were trying to do here was to trap Jesus publicly in a way that would bring condemnation on him. So you could call it a trick question, uh, a question of entrapment, but understand that Jesus lived in a very volatile society. And this was a very stressful encounter between him and the Pharisees. Don't forget that in Jesus' day, the Jews lived in their land. However, they were ruled over by the Romans. It was part of the Roman Empire. And the Jews hated that fact and hated that reality. In fact, they were waiting for a Messiah to come to rescue them totally from Roman rule. Now, there were different political parties. There were different groups on the scene here in this case. Of course, the Pharisees were very dedicated to their worship of the one true God and the law that God had given them. The Herodians, on the other stand, were, were on the other hand, were people who tended to side with the local ruler, Herod, who was put in place by the Romans. So there was stress there at that time. And of course, the Romans were always on the scene. The soldiers were there in the crowd, always watching over to make sure that there was no rebellions and no revolts in the land. They wanted peace to be there. So what they did here was they asked Jesus publicly a very intimidating question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
Now, anybody who backed the Romans would want him to say, well, yes, it is important to pay your taxes to the Roman Empire. But the Pharisees who were against paying taxes to the Romans were waiting for Jesus to say, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to the Romans. So no matter which way Jesus answered, if he said pay the taxes, he'll be attacked by the Jewish people who don't like the Romans. If he says don't pay taxes, he'll be arrested by the Romans for treason. So they purposely ask him this question publicly with a lot of people standing around to try to trap him because they didn't want good things to happen to Jesus. They wanted bad things to happen to him. So let's read on then. Verse 18, Jesus Christ and his godly wisdom gave the perfect answer because he avoided the controversial aspect of it and tried to direct the crowd in the right way. But Jesus, verse 18, knowing their evil intent, and they did have evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose portrait is this, and whose inscription? So the denarius was the standard Roman silver coin of the day. On one side, it had the image of Caesar, who, by the way, claimed to be God. He wasn't just the emperor, but he claimed to be God because on the other side of the coin, it said in writing, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So divine means God. Now the Roman coin was strictly forbidden to be used in the temple. The Jews wouldn't allow it because it was idolatrous. Not only did it have the, the picture or the image of the Roman ruler, but on the coin it claimed that that Roman ruler was God. So the Jews were very much against. In fact, it was strictly forbidden to bring Roman coins into the temple. So you know, when the Jews came into the temple, perhaps to purchase uh, an animal to be sacrificed because they sinned and they had to offer up a sacrifice, there were money changers in the temple. And you know, when Jesus overturned the tables of the money changer, these are the people who made a living by sitting outside the temple. And when you came to, to buy an animal for sacrifice, you gave them Roman coins and they changed them into Jewish coins so that you wouldn't offend in the temple. So it was strictly forbidden. And I think it's really ironic that Jesus talking to the Pharisees who were very much against Rome and very much against Roman coins, Jesus said, okay, who's got a, a, a Roman coin here? And one of the Pharisees whips one out. And you know, he probably was embarrassed later on thinking, oops, I shouldn't have done that because I gave myself away. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. What are we doing here? Do you want to go to the uh, stand mic, Sid? Paul, what should we do? I'll try to be real still here so we don't have any interference. So when you use Roman coins, it wasn't just supporting the Roman Empire, it was actually religious veneration because of what was on that coin and what it said on that coin. That's the way the Jews looked at it. You're honoring the god Caesar by paying tribute to him. 
by paying your taxes and by, by using that coin. So Jesus puts them on the spot. And he goes on to say this in verse 21. Whose portrait is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. So it was a really good answer that he gave. What Jesus was saying, give Caesar the less important matter of money, but give something else to God. And the title of this sermon is, Give to God What is God's. And we're going to answer in this sermon, What is God's? What did Jesus mean by this? Now, silver coins were made in the image of Caesar. So when they had those things minted, it was actually Caesar's image that was on the coin. The coins were made in the image of Caesar. And I'll ask you the question today, what is made in the image of God? He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, those coins, but give to God what is God's. Well, the coins were made in the image of Caesar, and my question for you today is, what is made in the image of God? Thank you. Thank you. Turn with me back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, verse 27. The time of creation, it says here, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, verse 27. So the coins were made in Caesar's image, and Jesus said, yeah, fine, just give what is Caesar's to Caesar. Go ahead and pay your taxes. But give to God what is God's. Now, that's more than money. I'm going to go ahead and switch over to the uh, stand mic, okay, guys? Hopefully we're back on. Over the years, I've heard ministers give sermons on this passage. And, you know, they said, well, yeah, pay your taxes, but also give some of that to God, too. Give the government their part, give God his part. I think what belongs to God is more than money. The, God's image isn't on our money. Now, we have images on our money and on our coins of leaders past, presidents past. But, you know, to the Romans, that image on the coin meant so much more. A king engraved his image on his coins to show that he owned them. Those coins were owned by Caesar. They were under his authority and part of his reign. And whenever his coins circulated, the king was claiming that territory as part of his kingdom. So wherever the Roman coins went, the Caesar considered that to be part of his territory. Jesus was painting, uh, pointing out that because we are made in God's image, God's reign spread far beyond anything Caesar could imagine. God rules over all humanity and all the world. Humans are God's coins, if you will, meant to proclaim the gospel wherever we circulate. 
See, I think that's the gist of what Jesus was attending, intending here. He said, give to Caesar what is Caesar, those silver coins that you have. Pay your taxes with those. But what God wants is what was made in his image. And that's not coins. That's us, people. The whole human race belongs to God. Why? Because he created us. We are made in his image, each and every one of us. We have to keep that in mind because, you know, in our uh, daily walk, we come in contact with a lot of people. And sometimes we have our doubts about them, you know. We deal with people who are Christians and we deal with people who are non-Christians. And maybe we deal with people that we like and enjoy being around and we feel good being around them. And we have some people that we don't necessarily enjoy being around and we don't like. Maybe we think they're obnoxious or they're judgmental or, or they're this or that. And unfortunately, sometimes it's Christian people <laughs> who are obnoxious and judgmental. But the point that Jesus is trying to make here and the point that we need to understand is that all people are made in the image of God. Amen. All people. And when he says, give to God what is God's, he wants all people to come to him to seek salvation, to, to search for God and to find God and to enter into a relationship with God. He wants our lives. Now, of course, when it comes to giving, yeah, that's included because when we give God our lives, we're also generous toward him. We want to share with him the blessings that he's given us, kind of share back with him. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We were created by God, and we were made in his image, each and every one of us. The kind, loving ones, and yeah, the obnoxious, nasty ones. We're all made in God's image, whether we realize it or not. So that should change the way, that should change our approach to people in general. We're all one in that sense, aren't we? No matter what country we're from, no matter what language we speak, no matter what race we are, God has created us all in his image. Now, we tend to think that, you know, God looks more like we do, or, or God likes people like we are. There's a term called ethnocentrism, where you think the world revolves around your country, so to speak. But no, God is the God of the whole world. People of different cultures, different languages, different races, races, different ethnicity. They're all his, and we're all made in his image. Amen. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves, especially when we're dealing with somebody that we don't get along with, and somebody who's obnoxious, or somebody who cuts us off in traffic, or somebody who does this or does that. We're all made in God's image, and God wants all to come to him, to recognize him as their God. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22, Paul says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be, notice, like God, in true righteousness and holiness. So when the Bible says that we're all created in God's image, it is God's goal that we all become like God. 
And he has given us the wherewithal by raising us from death in sins, giving us a new life, being made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created, notice, to be like God. So we've all become Christians, and the longer we're Christians, believe it or not, the more we're becoming like God. It happens in incremental measures. It happens slowly over the course of a lifetime. God is changing us, and that is his goal for all his creation, all of the people on this earth. He wants them to come to him, to begin this new life, to be changed so that we can live out the image that we've been made in, the image of God. Our goal is to become like God. So sometimes we have to remind ourselves when we're dealing with people that we don't necessarily like. Wait a minute, that person, just like me, that person has been made in, in the very image of God. God has created him to be like that, or her to be like that. You know, we love God and we feel that we're special to God, and we are. But you know what? Everybody on this earth is special to God. Everybody that he has created are children of God, whether they know it or not. And our goal by preaching the gospel is to help them to understand who they are in Jesus Christ, who God made them to be, the relationship that God wants to have with them, that God is not far away from them. All they have to do is reach out to him, and he is there to help them just as he's helped us. So again, he says in verse 24, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we were created by God to ultimately be imitators of God. You know, when Jesus had his disciples, when he walked this earth for approximately 32, 33 years, however long his life on earth was, he had disciples who walked with him every day. He was a rabbi with his disciples following him. There were a lot of rabbis walking around in Judea back in those days, but Jesus was a special one because he was the son of God. And as he walked and his disciples walked with him, they learned his way of teaching scripture. They saw how he lived out his own teaching in his own personal life, and it was their duty to imitate him. And Jesus taught them to do that. They would imitate his example to learn to walk in his way. And then when Jesus departed, he ascended back up into heaven, and the, the 12 uh, apostles, uh, minus Judas from that point on, they had their own disciples. They would disciple others to live that way too. And you know, basically, that's what we do here. We're followers of Jesus Christ. As we study the scripture, as we pray to him, as we praise him, we're learning his way, and we, our responsibility is to follow his way, to imitate Jesus Christ in everything that we do, and we do our best to do that. But that's what the church is all about. We come here every week to learn about Jesus Christ so that we can better imitate his way because we were created by God to do that, to be imitators of God. We are made in his image, and he wants us to reflect that. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, 
This is exactly what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. He says to the congregation, imitate me. Jesus said that to the, this, to the apostles, imitate me. Do what I do. Say what I say. The, the apostles, as time went by, said that to the churches, imitate me. And you know, that's a heavy thing to say. Because if you want people to imitate you, you better be sure that your example is right all the time. <laughs> because you don't want people to imitate bad things that you're doing. Isn't that the case with our kids? You know, as we have children and begin to raise them, we always want to say, follow your parents' example. But then you think, wow, I better make sure my example is right all the time. And sometimes as parents, we slip up and we end up saying something that we shouldn't say or doing something that we, we shouldn't do and our kids see it and they're aware of it and then they start to imitate us and we have to say, no, 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 don't imitate that part of me. <laughs> imitate the, the good things. But that's hypocritical, isn't it? When you're a parent, you have to make sure that your example to your kids is always the best so that they can learn from your example and follow it and grow up to be good, upstanding citizens and Christians, Christian people. So that's the responsibility of the apostle. It's the responsibility of the pastor. The pastor should be able to stand up before the congregation and say, imitate me. And you know, I know I've made mistakes over the years, but hopefully, for the most part, the example that has been set is good. So he says, imitate me. Verse 17, for this reason I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Wow. Could you say, follow my example, because my example goes hand in hand with everything I believe in as a Christian. Now that's, that's important not just at home with your kids, it's important with your mate, it's important with where you work. Is your Christian example always upstanding at work? You know, if somebody was being called by God and they were learning what it means to be a Christian, could they look to you every day? They're thinking, well, I'm not sure what to do in this case. I'll tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at Dave Fry here, and I'm going to watch him at work, because I have confidence that what, whatever he does in a case like that is going to be the right thing to do. Wow. You'd be surprised. There are people in your life who watch you, Amen. because they know you're a Christian, and they watch to see what you do in every situation. So that's why we must always be on guard. You know, we're not going to be like the Pharisees who do the right thing when we know people are watching, but then in other times, you know, we do whatever our lusts, you know, entice us to do, or when we get angry, we can get angry because we don't think anybody's looking, but people are always looking, and what's more, God is always looking. Amen. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5. We're all equal in God's sight. He wants all to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. 
You know, another thing to keep in mind, too, is to realize that we're all dust. When God created Adam and Eve and made them in his image, what did he make them out of? Dust. We're made of dust. And you know what? When our time comes and we die, what's our body going to return to? Dust. Dust is an annoying thing, isn't it? As you're cleaning your house, do you like to see dust? You know, when the sun kind of comes through the window in a certain way, you think your house is pretty clean, and that sunlight hits the floor or hits some furniture, and you see dust. And the first thing you want to do is clean it up and get rid of it. But that's what we're made of. We're all on an equal basis before God. And it's so easy to judge others. You know, to look at other people, the way they talk, the way they act, and think, oh boy, I'm, I'm glad I'm not like them. <laughs> I'm glad, you know, God made me to be something special and something, something better. We're all dust. So don't judge others. In fact, if there's anything you should do instead of judging them is to pray that they can come to know God as you know God. Because we're no better. We're all the same. We're all going to end up going to the same place when we die. Our bodies are going to turn to dust. But yes, through Jesus Christ, we have the promise in God's word of going to a better place for uh, eternity with him, to go to heaven, to live with God for all eternity together in joy. And God wants all people to come to that point. And he's given us a commission now to spread that good news about what we have and what God has blessed us with and the fact that they can have the same thing too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. So when it comes to your interactions with people on a daily basis, Paul says here in verse 16, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So thanks be to God that that has happened to us. We've accepted Jesus as our Savior. We have become a new person. God is uh, transforming us into the likeness of Christ. But we don't judge those who are not in the place we are today. In fact, if anything, we want to encourage them to come along. And we need to live our life in such a way that this way of life is attractive to other people. They shouldn't see us as hypocrites, you know, talking out of both sides of our mouth or, you know, uh, treating certain people better than we treat other people. That's hypocritical. That's what the Pharisees used to do. We regard all people as being made in the image of God and as having Jesus' death on the cross cover them. And we want to help them to understand what that means. We want to share that story with them so that they also come to Jesus Christ for salvation and have eternal life eventually. So human beings are fashioned in God's image. Just as those coins were fashioned in Caesar's image, we are fashioned in God's image. So when Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, yeah, go ahead and pay your taxes with those coins. But then he said, give to God what is God's. And in that case, he certainly wasn't talking about money. He was talking about us. 
He was talking about our lives, giving everything we are. You know, it, it says in Romans, we're living sacrifices, totally dedicated to God. Human beings are fashioned in God's image. Each, each person is the master's own self-portrait in physical form. And we need to understand that, and we need to give people credit for that. And it's so easy to judge. I was reading a story about one rabbi who uh, came upon an individual who was extremely ugly <laughs> in, the, in worldly view. He was a real tough guy and just real ugly, and he had a real rough life growing up. And the rabbi happened to comment on the way this person looked. And the person in this story responded to the rabbi and said, you know, the way I look was not my doing. It was the way I was created by God to be. So if you have any problem with the way I look, you need to take it up with the one who fashioned me in his image. So no matter how we look, whether we're tall or short, thin or not so thin, <laughs> you know, no matter the color of our hair, no matter how big our nose is, no matter you know, what it is about us, we are all personally fashioned in God's image. He is the sculptor who made us. So we shouldn't uh, criticize people or uh, look down upon them by the way they look in that regard. We're all personally fashioned by God in his particular image. We all reflect, we've been made to reflect God in our lives. We'll turn to one last scripture in James 3, verse 9. James 3, verse 9. It kind of warns us to be on guard in our interaction with other people. James 3, verse 9, he's talking about the tongue and how we can do good things and bad things with the words that come out of our mouth. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. So whenever you curse somebody, whenever you get angry or should say something nasty, whether it's out loud or under your breath about another person, keep in mind that that person has been made in God's likeness with God's stamp of approval on that person. How can we praise God's greatness in one breath then insult one of God's self-portraits in another? And the more we kind of give credit to people who are not Christians, and I'm not saying we agree with things that they do, we don't agree with sin, but we have to understand that they all have the potential to be where we are right now in a close relationship with God himself and through the blood of Jesus Christ reconciled to him now with the promise of eternal life. We need to keep that in mind no matter who it is we come in contact with that they are a child of God and hopefully it makes us more willing to help them, to serve them, to do good works for them with the hope that God is in the process of calling them just as he's called us. So give to God what is God's. What did Jesus mean by that? He's not just talking about generosity. Certainly we give to God generously with, with, our, with what he, he's given us, but it's our whole life. 
It's our whole life. He is our creator. We're made in his image. So let's give our life to him and also be aware that everybody else that he has created is made in his image and has the same potential to be a son or a daughter of God and in relationship with him for all eternity. Heavenly Father, thank you for the insight you've given us today and the better understanding of what Jesus' words were. He was in the process of dealing with a very controversial uh, position that men had put him in, but yet he taught us a truth, a very important truth. So help us to be aware of people around us, to realize that it's not us versus them, it's not Christians versus non-Christians, but all of the people that are in this world have been created in your image, whether they realize it or not, or whether they'll believe it or not, it is the truth. And we have a responsibility in giving you our whole lives because they are yours. As we come in contact with people, help us to be aware, help us to be kind, help us to be uh, giving and serving toward them. Because any one of these people we come in contact with has the potential of being a son or daughter of yours through Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us to be considerate and help us to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.